Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. At Navy Federal, you can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all through one convenient place. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash Carbine. A successful military transition requires self-transformation. Pre-veteran is your personal guide. Air Force veteran Jason Anderson, founder of Pre-Veteran, we are going to talk military transition. Jason, before we get to talking about all that good stuff, what you're doing with Pre-Veteran, and after all, everybody goes through that military transition at one point, take us back, tell us what you did in the Air Force. You bet. And then, Joe, thanks for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I enjoy all the different guests and all the different stories they have for you there. So thanks. Um, to take you back, uh, right, my career, I kind of usually logically kind of break it down to a first half and a second half. Um, I'm a 95 grad from the Air Force Academy, and then I went into pilot training. Um, again, there's so much detail in each one of these. Um, there are like several beer stories uh, we could do some other time that are just some interesting anecdotes in there, but ended up going to pilot training, um, actually with the Navy. Uh, they do an exchange program, yeah. 10% of the air force go in the Navy, vice versa for the Navy into the air force and, uh, ended up in Pensacola, um, did the T 34 there, then the T 44 at Corpus. I got my first choice after that, uh, went to Ramstein in 98, just in time for Bosnia, Kosovo. So, um, started off very early in combat flying, um, for both of those campaigns, mm -hmm. um, really enjoyed the, the fun over there at Ramstein as well. And then, um, came back to the United States. My PCS was September, 2001. <laughs> so you could see that, uh, I was here in my hometown of Jackson, Wyoming, which is where I am now mm -hmm. in my father's house. And all of a sudden the twin towers come down and I had a very easy prediction to make that day. I said, I'm going to be in the Middle East for the next few years. And sure enough, I was in the Middle East mm -hmm. and I was in the uh, Little Rock Air Force Base at that time, uh, flying the H models, uh, deployed to Pakistan, Oman quite a bit. And then things began to change. So that's, that's where I kind of delineate the first part of my career. <clears throat> um, there's a quick story in there. And one was, it was 3 AM and uh, we're in a part of Pakistan and I'm coming back from a flight and a friend of mine, Scott is yelling into the phone and he's saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And he finally put down the phone. I'm like, what's up, man. And, and he's, he's like, I don't want to do it. The boss wants me to take this exchange job to Japan. And I was like, I'll take it. Right. Cause you know, I've been in uh, flying now for five or six years and I've, flown in wars and all of those years. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I could see this extending till the end of time. Sure enough, been, that's true. And uh, I began working this exchange job and uh, didn't know anything about the time. I was just an operator uh, and began kind of pursuing the Japan exchange position. <clears throat> so obviously it requires that you speak Japanese. So uh, we went through a whole battery of tests. I was engaged at the time. Long story short, um, I did get the job, moved to Japan, um, prior to taking that job, um, had a, you know, a couple, uh, smart conversations with my boss. I said, Hey boss, you know, how am I looking for school? Cause you know, if you get school, you're going to be on a different track. 
And he goes, Jason, you know, you're one of my favorites, but I don't see you going to school. Right. And I was like, Hey, this <laughs> makes it easy. I'm going to Japan. Let's go to Japan. <clears throat> so sure enough, as, as fate would have it, when I get to Japan with my new wife at the time in September of 2004, uh, my boss emails me and says, I don't know how you do this, but you got on the schools list. <laughs> I was like, all right, geez, there, there's, there's a plan right there. Right. Just kind of, not going the direction that I thought it was, but, you know, happy to be in Japan. Um, and what ended up happening was uh, through that and going to school, I ended up staying in Japan for that particular stint for seven years. And I ended up staying four years in a Japanese squadron. And that put, that, that was a really unique um, kind of experience where it was me and 500 Japanese folks in a squadron together for four years. And then after that, I went to their, Air Command and Staff College in um, Tokyo. Really? So we were truly off the grid. And that's why I delineate kind of the first half of my career is flying. Second half of my career was international. So if you can just imagine, <clears throat> um, as I was getting ready to leave Japan, no one on earth outside of GS-12 and um, Hawaii knew I existed in the Air Force. So what is a person to do? <laughs> better figure it out real quick. So I started cold calling people within the air force going, Hey, I'm coming up on my next assignment. Uh, what should I do? So it kind of, because of the international background and the, the Japanese language ability, what ended up happening is I kind of zeroed it down to a job in Hawaii at PACAF or PACAF PACOM or the Pentagon. Um, got a hold of someone in the Pentagon. And then uh, my last six, almost seven years was at the Pentagon doing foreign military sales uh, selling a lot of equipment and hardware to Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. No kidding. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so the Japanese fly C-130s? They do. They got 16 C-130s in Komaki Air Base. Um, another kind of interesting story in there was, you know, right after I had gotten to Japan and right after we had finished language school together, that, that was the uh, Badachi uh, big tsunami. So I ended up going down being the liaison between the U.S. Air Force and the Jap Japan Air Self-Defense Force down there in Utapau. Mm -hmm. So I was in Utapau for 45 days. If you've ever been there, that was an interesting experience. Wow. Wow. Um, great story. So talk talk us through some of your transition. You're, you're obviously in, in D.C. at the Pentagon for several years, working your way out of the Air Force you looking towards getting a job or going into entrepreneurship? Well, that's a, that's a great question. So, um, what we talk about in pre-veteran all the time is there, there's definitely a point to where you have to address your transition. I mean, it bubbles up within you, and it it starts uh, working in your mind, and your mind starts turning gears, and because it's trying to figure out a problem at the root of everything. So for me, my planned retirement was 2014. So my brain really started uh, going into hyperdrive in 2011, 2012. And of course, uh, we wanted to move back to Wyoming, which is where we are now. It's uh, where my family is. I want to spend time with my dad, my father, you know, 20 year career and you don't get to see them much. It kind of changes your perspective. You want to be around family a lot more. So of course, um, as is kind of standard with transitioning, uh, um, you know, military population and their comfort. I went to usajobs.gov, of course, and uh, tried for look, tried to look for work in Wyoming and found, I'm not joking, a lumberjack as a, a trade 
to kind of do in Wyoming. I'm like, oh, it doesn't quite fit my skill set. Sounds cool. <clears throat> so this actually fits right into entrepreneurship. And I know that your listeners like to, to hear about those things. Um, what I ended up doing was uh, in my moment of sheer, I don't want to call it panic, but I call it um, stress. And, and it is very stressful when you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you feel like you're not getting in the, the direction you want to go or making progress. I turned on, I, we were driving back from somewhere on I-95 heading north up to Springfield where we lived. I turned to my wife who was in the passenger side and I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start a small business, right? And she goes, what? You don't know a damn thing about business. And, you know, I, I remember sitting there thinking what she said and she, I'm like, she's totally right. And then I looked at her and I go, yeah, but I'll figure it out. Right. I mean, total military mindset. It, this is a new word I'll introduce to you here in a moment, but it's military mindset heuristic. It's that, <clears throat> it's that grit that every military member has. And that's something that's purposefully developed by the department of defense mm-hmm. to go fight the mission. But then it has potentially a downside when you start thinking about life after the military. So when I told her I was going to be a small business owner and we were going to run a small business, I had no clue. The only thing I did right, frankly, in that particular scenario is I had two, two and a half years to figure it out. But this was before Bunker Labs. This was before Boots to Business. This was before any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I know this was when you were kind of getting started too. So there was, there was no blueprint. back in that day. So there was a lot of visiting SBA offices, figuring out things on your own. Um, But what I told her is I said, Hey, you know, we have two years uh, and this is where the whole concept of active duty entrepreneur came about. The the book that I wrote is because I do believe for entrepreneurs, uh, the military ecosystem is phenomenal because you're getting paid. You've got your dental medical, all those things handled. And if you can manage that, um, the time commitment it is to start up a business within obviously the role of you trying to fill your taxpayer filled uh, position to the army, Navy, air force, and Marines. It's a really good starting point. So that's what I wrote about in the book. Um, But entrepreneurship uh, I'll I'll tell you in a minute how um, that ended up setting me up for the corporate world actually. So it might be something that uh, your listeners would like to hear is that, those skills that they actually do in developing their entrepreneurship um, kind of chops actually really become marketable to them as they maybe want to go over to a job instead of just being entrepreneurs. They're actually very complementary kind of skill sets. Yeah. And we were just talking, uh, I was, we were at the yard house last night talking with a couple of my army compadres and uh, they're both entrepreneurial types and uh, talking about various things. And I, I said to him, I'm like, you know, the one, the biggest thing I miss about the military is the military mindset. And the reason I love entrepreneurship is the closest thing I've ever found to the military mindset is the entrepreneurial mindset. They're very similar. They have a lot of the same great qualities and it's like the second best thing to hang around with. And if you can find military entrepreneurs, it's almost the same thing as hanging, you know, hanging out with the buds in the military. So, um, that military mindset thing is crucial. And then you talk about, I know of my military entrepreneurial friends, this has happened to them many times where they end up walking themselves into a really good job. They weren't even looking for a job. They were working their entrepreneurial ventures, running their own business, doing their own thing. And somebody said, wow, you're doing all the things that we need come work for us. Here's a bunch of money and full benefits. And and when you're a, a starving, 
struggling entrepreneur, sometimes that's really, um, really tempting. And so I, I, like, I know several folks that have walked into a job, not even looking at for one because of their entrepreneurial ventures that they were heavily involved in. Um, one thing that typically happens is they love the money and the benefits, but they didn't realize how almost unemployable they had become because they were an entrepreneur calling their own shots, running their own show. Now they're back to being an employee, almost like swallowing your pride or a really tough pill to swallow. Have you experienced some of that yourself? So, so I'll start off with how they were complimentary and getting me a job. So mm-hmm. kind of like I was just mentioning in 2012, 2013, 2014 time period, uh, we decided to create a digital advertising service just for locals here, which is a huge business in a small kind of uh, tourist town of Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. And um, what ended up happening is, again, there was no boots to business, no bunker lab, any of that. So you kind of had to figure it out on your own. So you were really very much thrown into the deep end of the swimming pool, go figure it out. And I did, I dove in. I mean, I was, I was fully, fully, fully committed to that. And what ended up happening is I was able to carve out a part of my mind that was completely not in the government space. So I was no longer in the, uh, the public sector. I was in the private sector um, dealing with people and under, beginning to understand business. And certainly part of the business um, courses you'll go through is you'll figure out what business wants, how to market yourself, how to brand, all these different things, which is important. Um, but what it ended up doing is, again, having me create a completely different set of thoughts and understanding that there's a clear difference between the public and private sectors. So long story short, um, we did move to Wyoming. We did create a successful business. It was generating revenue, but it was very modest, right? So um, we were, but I was, still, <clears throat> I was still committed. And from um, a, a network friend who always came to visit me in the Pentagon and then had since gone to aerospace defense industry. He, you know, we were still in the network. He, he calls me up and he goes, Jason, I think we got a really good role for you. And I was like, cool, let me take a look at it. And of course it's with the fortune five um, kind of company, very large. Um, and it looked interesting. And he goes, Hey, you know, we've just recently opened up remote positions because that was definitely not the thing pre COVID. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. and definitely not back to 2014. So I was like, wait, wait, wait. I can be a full-time employee, full benefits and live in Jackson. Are you kidding me? Right. So I had, I had to entertain the option. It would just be foolish to not look at that opportunity. So long story short, one resume, one interview, one job, got the job. Okay. Awesome. Um, It was business development. And, and I knew a bit about business development um, just from my time at the Pentagon when all the BD people would come in and talk to me, even though that wasn't really done that well, I kind of still had a sense uh, of how it was done. Um, but what happened after that is where it became more interesting. So the moment I got in the company, I felt very comfortable in there operating. I did not feel like a fish out of water at all. Um, I understood what they were doing, and I attribute that a lot to the exercises I did uh, within entrepreneurship. And uh, long story short, <clears throat> within the first few months, I started noticing um, how they could increase international sales. And I had no idea that that's exactly what they were looking for in the company. I had no idea, but I just wanted to help, right? So I put together a pitch deck um, for my boss, who was a director. 
he loved it. He took it to the senior director, senior director took it to a VP, VP took the senior VP, senior VP took it to the EVP. Long story short, uh, within three months of the company, uh, my name had already made it up to very senior levels and said, hey, this guy's got some really good ideas. Um, and it was, I was in the company six months, got a very curious call from a very high, you know, VPGM type individual that said, Jason, don't be worried when you see me on your calendar. <laughs> and when, when people say that, you're like, I should be worried, should be worried. right? <laughs> when someone tells you to not be worried, be worried. Yeah. And, and it, it was totally innocuous, but he goes, Hey, we want to offer you a job. And the job was, uh, to be the lead executive for the entire company, uh, for Japan, Korea, and Taiwan as an expatriate to Tokyo, um, a huge, you know, pay raise, huge level up. So I moved up four levels in the company, um, and ended up doing all, I ran the business for Japan, Korea, and Taiwan for that big company. So it was phenomenal learning in that environment. It was very vertical for a couple of years. And then once I got over that hump, I felt very, very comfortable in the business world. You know, everything from P&L to hiring, firing, uh, talent management, all of that. So, so that's what um, I think, like, just to your point, that's the things that got um, me into the door and, and promoted very quickly uh, at a very high level within the company. And I attribute that to a lot of the exercising I did. Wow. Awesome. Well, hey, Jason, hold that thought. We're going to be right back. Take a quick break. We bought a few cars with Navy Federal over my 31 years as a member with their fully loaded car buying experience. Let me tell you, when you become a member of Navy Federal Credit Union, life gets better. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all through one convenient place. They have low rates and pre-approval that's good for 90 days, so you know what you can afford while you shop. You can save thousands off MSRP with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar. You can also get exclusive member savings with Carfax, Geico, and SiriusXM. They're always available with 24-7 member service representatives to answer any questions. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash carbine. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Your actual savings off MSRP may vary. Navy Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. All right, back talking with Air Force veteran Jason Anderson, founder of Pre-Veteran. All right, Jason, great story, working us way up to where you're at now. You guys really just relaunched Pre-Veteran uh, a few months ago. So tell us what you're doing with Pre-Veteran. Yeah, you bet. Um, so uh, we started pre-veteran off, um, and I want to say again, because it had been around since 2014 for a couple of reasons, but uh, the scope was not at all what we wanted it to be. We wanted to expand it well beyond that. But those experiences that I had in Asia running a business and all the complexities with that, I knew I needed to learn more and develop more myself before I could actually take that to a customer. So we had that website just sitting kind of dormant, um, had some messaging on there, but that was about it. And then we did decide after doing a whole lot of work, a whole lot of research that I'll show you here in a moment, um, that went into what we're doing now, which is uh, pre-veteran is, is all about helping military members and military spouses transition more successfully to the private sector um, and employment. Uh, and, and I'll show you why we pick on employment here uh, for the most part. But we, we rest on two really important pillars. I mean, it, per, it goes through our entire ecosystem. It is um, self-transformation. It is not an option. You must do it. And then 
uh, alignment to the private sector, um, much of the same. And, and I'll tell you exactly why you need to do those two things. So self-transformation um, must occur because you're leaving a less than 1% of the U.S. population. You're entering a 93% of a non-veteran U.S. population. And guess what? They're in your communities, they're in your churches, and they're also your employer, which means that they're your HR staff, they're your hiring managers, they're your general managers. So you need to self-transform to be in that general public. And, and, it, and it's amazing to me that this discussion never comes up. And a lot of the reason, unfortunately, it never comes up is because the research doesn't really tell people that they need to change. We're taking the big boy approach and we know that we're talking to adults. We're showing them the data and we're saying you need to self-transform. And just because it's like patently obvious that that needs to happen. And then the ancillary to that is alignment to the private sector. If they're going to be your hiring managers and your GMs and your HR folks that are bringing you into a position, wouldn't it be a good idea to know what the private sector needs and wants so that you can then articulate your value to that profit-making enterprise. And then it, it, the, the employment becomes so much easier um, yeah. at that point. So that, know, that's kind of our focus. I've always, having been in this transition space for a long time and seen it from both sides, it's almost like all the employers are on one side of the canyon and all the veterans wanting jobs are on the other side of the canyon. And they can kind of see each other but they can't figure out how to get across that great divide. Um, and the employers are always trying to figure out how do we hire veterans? How do we make this work? And the veterans are always like, they say there's lots of companies out there that want to hire veterans, but I can't find a job. And there's always this great divide and it's almost this great mystery as to why there's this massive disconnect where you can't bridge that gap. And oftentimes it is some things like, well, Employers want to hire veterans, but you almost need to have transformed into a civilian before they're willing to hire you. You got it. And, and I'm telling you, I mean, honestly, we didn't talk about this, but that is like the perfect setup for this because um, I, I have the answers for you. And this is um, so what I to kind of couch this. Right. I mean, TAP is, TAPS has been around for since 1991. So it's in its 30th year. And if you look at the data, and I'll show it to you here in a minute, nothing's changed in 30 years. They're putting more money in it, more interagency coordination, more community effort, more money, and, and none of the performance outcomes are changing. So I'm going to call that transition 1.0. Mm -hmm. We desperately, desperately need to move to transition 2.0. And I'll kind of show you the rationale. And I can answer a lot of those questions that you brought up of why there's a divide, and more importantly, how to fill it right? Because we need to get everything together to be more successful. Otherwise, I mean, this is up for debate, but um, I, I sense that in the next less than 10 years, we're in danger of losing our all-volunteer force. Mm. Um, and I'm not being, uh, sorry, I hit the wrong one there. Uh, and what, um, you know, for those, if, if those you listen to on the podcast, you're not gonna be able to see this, but if you want to see what he's showing, you can go. You can go to the Veteran on the Move YouTube channel. Also got it on Rumble. Um, so there's some other places you can see what he's showing on the video. So, kind of going back to uh, when I was in Asia. So, I was. Uh, I had a very successful transition, um, and then the promotion. 
I mean, my story was very, very unique. And as I talk to more people, it is, it doesn't happen often at all. As a matter of fact, most people have very poor transitions and the numbers bear that out. So when I tried to go figure out why, um, first I had to go figure out what the heck's going on. And, and this was my attempt at putting that together. I called this the state of transition. And I took 30 years of data uh, that's out there. And if you've researched this space, and it's very frustrating because there's different pockets that do different things. One focuses on suicide. One focuses on employment. One focuses on employment in California. One does in Texas. So, so you got to kind of aggregate this data. Mm-hmm. And I kind of put it together and it came up, a very, very clear picture came up to me after I created this. So let me kind of walk you through the chart so you can understand what I'm saying here. <clears throat> So where you see the little people icons is where we talk about the uh, military members and then their spouses. And the reason why we say this is that they're both subject to that military mindset heuristic that I'll tell you about in specific detail here in a minute. But they're in that military ecosystem environment, which impacts how they think significantly. And then um, so when we talk about market size or the number of people going through, it is ginormous. Um, It is, you know, it's advertised as 250,000. Um, but so, you know, if, if you kind of do that and then add in the spouses, we're closer to 300,000 plus, which is going to get you somewhere between, you know, 20, uh, 21,000 to 27, 28,000 a month it is an enormous throughput of people that's going through. Yeah. So what I did is I found, I, I created this measure, um, for employment, wellness, higher education, and entrepreneurship as swim lanes. And <clears throat> what you kind of find out, and the reason why I have employment and wellness together and first on this list is they're very significant because 90 plus percent of the transitioning military become employees. 70% of those 90% become private sector employees. Kind of going back to the, you need to align to the private sector because most of you are going to become private sector employees. Why not do that before you get out, which is what pre-veteran is all about. Mm-hmm. So the numbers are kind of hidden in the macro data. And when I say macro data, that's the Bureau of Labor Statistics where it has unemployment rate, not in the labor force rate. You can see they're commensurate, which mm-hmm. doesn't tell you a whole lot. Mm-hmm. When you kind of spell out the retention, though, this is where it really starts. The red flags start going up. Um, military members transitioning within those first two years leave their job very, very, very quickly. 50% within a year. within two years. And that, that was one study by Syracuse in 2014. I actually went farther back and this has been a chronic problem since they started measuring things back in 91. So this is nothing new. And by the way, nothing's changed. So this is the transition 1.0 that we need to get away from. And that's obviously tied to, uh, to the wellness where we talk about suicide and homelessness, because if you're not prepared, and your wheels start spinning and you're getting nowhere, despair can tend to set in drug, alcohol addiction, and sometimes worse. And, you know, there's, there's now studies that say that ideation for suicide happens is strongest at transition. So this is a very serious problem. That's not getting the attention that it should in my view. And then in education, what we talk about here is um, the graduation rate. So this is pretty much GI bill exclusively Uh for I don't know if uh, your audience knows this, but we spend 12 to $13 billion a year on the GI bill and we're getting a 48% uh, graduation rate, which means by definition, six, 7 billion is going out the window, right? For (laughs) that, that just is not being performed on. That's poor performance. I don't care who, uh, (laughs) 
I don't know who would argue with that being uh, good performance. And what happens is it takes uh, military members two years longer to get a certificate or a degree. Now, <clears throat> after I looked at this, and then, uh, sorry, let me make, because entrepreneurs are definitely listening in. I'm not concerned about the decreasing entrepreneurship rate. In my view, it's normalized uh, to, the, to the general public. And I think that's completely fine. Um, if you kind of look back uh, at post-World War II and even going back to 96, we had higher entrepreneurship rates and no one can really tell why, but it's not like we're lower than the national average or the general public now. We're just kind of normalized with that for whatever it's reason. Probably because post-World War II, way more people worked for themselves back then anyways. And nowadays, less people work for themselves. So that's what you mean by normalized. We're veterans. Yep. Um, but there is a, uh, I'm not sure if I see that on your, there is a higher percentage of veterans to go into entrepreneurship than only civilians, right? Yes. Yes. There's a higher percentage, but um, when we talk about actual creation of businesses, it, it's, it's very commensurate within um, the general public. Okay. There's no, there's no big spike outs that are there. I mean, obviously, and that's even with the additional support now of, you know, um, SBA section eight, a, you got bunker labs, you got, boots to business, all these different things that are kind of feeders and accelerators. I mean, we're trying to get more participation, but when it, when you come down to building businesses, and the veteran success it, rate, if they do get into it, is the veteran success rate higher? So curiously, and I'd love to have uh, you interview some people for bunker labs or boots to business. They don't publish those actually. Um, they, they publish the, the number of touches they've got with their students uh -huh. and the number of events they hold. But, I mean, as you know, and, and I hope your audience knows, I mean, entrepreneurship is tough. It's mm -hmm. very tough, requires a lot of grit, requires a lot of time, uh, dedication, all these different things. Mm -hmm. um, and and of, of these, you know, of between employment, higher education, and entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is by clearly the most challenging, which is probably it's, why it's most attractive to your audience because it is challenging. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. It's not for the faint of heart, but, but, it, and that's why it's a good fit. I think, you know, for the military as well. Right. Now that said, let me, let me get, if you don't mind the specifics. So, so this is the result, you know, this is 30 years of aggregated data showing that we do not perform well in the two years following military transition. Well, why, right? That's the next logical question. And this is where we need to mature the conversation. And what pre-veterans trying to do is be a leader in maturing this conversation, because I think what people want is this knowledge so that they can go, whoa, there is a problem and I don't want to be in those statistics and I want to fix it by knowing what's going on in my own mind. So <clears throat> I got to give you a, so you, bit, you see a big brain here in, um, on your screen if you're on the YouTube channel. Here's why. As I went through my journey of trying to figure out why those two years are so problematic and why we've been falling into the same problem um, as a group for the last 30 years, if not longer, um, before measuring, um, I went through different academic disciplines, sociology, anthropology, psychology, you name it. And, and I finally landed on cognitive neuroscience. Um, cognitive neuroscience is fancy for how your brain thinks, metacognition, how Joe specifically thinks and why, because ultimately how you think drives external behaviors and, and what you actually do activity wise. So, I hired a cognitive neuroscience uh, scientist from 2017 to 2018. We met very routinely. Um, but 
as is the case with academics and, and academic minded people, they tend to think of it as a group thing. And what I really want to do is create an individual model so people can do a diagnostic of what they're actually thinking in their own heads and then understand why they're thinking that and then make adult decisions on whether they want to follow those things or not. Right. So I got to tell you about your brain's purpose real quick. I'll just highlight a couple that are important for the model that I'll tell you that I created. It ensures your survival. That's obviously huge. Um, It creates memories, which is called encoding. It uses them while navigating life, which is retrieval. Um, It's very efficient and it's adept at making associations. And, And I'll tell you why that's significant as we go into this model. So I want to introduce you to this um, thing I call the thinking process model. So that year with the cognitive neuroscientist, this was the result. I created our proprietary thinking process model. And this is how it functions. It's a simple three-step model. And I'll take you through a very quick uh, run of it, but it's a cognitive cycle. Step one is important, quote unquote, information enters your brain. And when I say importance, there's two pathways, external, like someone that is your parent, uh, trusted individual says something you should do. You'll tend to listen to that. That information will tend to get into your brain. Or you could be Joe, you know, years ago and say, I got to get ready for transition. It's very significant, very important. So that information does enter your short-term memory in step two. In step two, when it sits there in short-term memory, that thought, you have a function in your brain that looks for memory associations, right? That things that are associated with an income stream of information, those are then consolidated, pushed together and moved to your prefrontal cortex here in front um, for deeper thinking. And when you think deeply about something, right, then you follow the arrow that's under the head. When you, um, when you think deeply about something, you seek, what you're thinking in the external environment. So you're looking for those cues out there that meet your thinking needs. So here's where everything goes haywire in step two. So when I talk to my audience with military transition, I say kind of a bit, uh, um, I challenge them a bit and I say things that are a little bit striking to them. So I say, um, all transitioning military members to include myself. And I'll ask you in a minute, if this was you, you have equal parts, ignorance and hubris, right? Um, When you're approaching transition. And like I said, when you say, I got to get ready for transition and it goes into step one, going back to the model and it goes to step two, it's that thought that you're thinking is going to be enacted upon by the memories that are in your head or not in your head, right? It's going to be impacted by that. So your memory spectrum range, ooh, geez, sorry. Your memory spectrum ranges from this left side here, which is brain gap. We've named this, and we're trying to get new words out into the ecosystem to get people to understand what they're thinking, because it, it's helpful to, to identify what you're thinking. This brain gap is when you have no memory associations. In other words, you've never transitioned. In other words, you're ignorant about transition, right? However, on the other side of the spectrum is when you have your hubris, this is your military mindset heuristic, that thing that the DOD is trying to be developing for the last four or 40 years. Guess what? It's going to enact some kind of force upon that as well. Here's the net result. And I'll go into, so brain gap, remember, is where you have not done it before, but it goes back to your brain wanting to survive. So as that incoming information says, I got to get ready for transition, you have no memory of it, 
your cognitive cycle stops. So people often say, I can't think through transition. I can't think through uh, point A to point B. Well, guess what? Your brain is now trying to solve a complex problem because you can't see a clear path to A to B. So guess what it does? It gives you a bunch of GFIs, right? Good freaking ideas. <laughs> Here's some examples. Should I do something completely different than what I do now? And the polls say 25% say that. Should I start my own business? <laughs> this guy right here. Um, do I need to get another degree to be competitive, which is where we get this ridiculous, like you need eight degrees to be competitive and then you're still not competitive. Um, do I need to get my PMP? That's like what the research space is telling all military people. They should be project program managers, which is insane. And then for those that are retired, should I just hand out towels at a base? So I'll ask Joe, did you have any of these thoughts, Joe? Uh, ab- absolutely. I think I had all of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so here's, what's interesting. What we have our students do is then, you know, this becomes a, because you need to know what your mind's thinking and why. And then once you know, it is, you recognize these as not being super productive, right? These are, these, these take energy and resources away from you as you go, go look for each one. And then, you know, it's two months later and you're like, I haven't gotten anywhere. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. now I'm like, oh, now I need to go to get my MBA. And now I need to get my Six Sigma. Now I need to. And and you're just you're literally spinning your wheels all while your stress load is going way up. Right. So this is bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the other side of the spectrum is your military mindset heuristic. So a heuristic is a fancy term. that means a mental shortcut that allows individuals to make decisions pass judgments or solve a problem quickly. And you've heard this before where the information barely enters your head and you've already made a judgment on it. That's a heuristic. Mm -hmm. So the military actually creates that by purpose, right? Um, So examples of the military mindset heuristic are this, and this is like classic military, right? Thinking you can figure things out, even though you've never done it before. Right. Um, and, And this applying to transition, you're like, Hey, you know what? I'll figure it out. And, and this is, you know, the characteristics of the, the traditional or um, the, the normal military member. Now they're, they're voyeurs on social media. You know, they're trying to pick little pieces of information from so influencers out there. Mm-hmm. Some of information's good. Some of it's not good. And they're trying to piece together this mosaic themselves, but have no idea how they do it. Right. Um, so, so it's, it's interesting, but that mindset heuristic of I've done it before in the military, I could do it now is so strong um, that, but, but you kind of go back to the performance numbers. It, well, if, if that is in fact works, then we should have much better performance than we don't, <laughs> despite all the tax credits, you know, affirmative action, public private sector kind of support all these different things. So, um, Another one that is a military mindset heuristic is thinking your private sector job will be just like your military job, right? So that's another misalignment. This is why we need to become aligned. And then uh, getting, (laughs) this is one of my faves. Uh, I see it all the time, even in my job, because we don't have these words to describe to military people why they're doing this. Um, I have a friend, a colleague that I work with in my, in my company. um, And they, he really wants to do someone else's job. Right. Because as a generalist in the military, you want to do you just want to, hey, I'm the guy that fixes things. And what you do is you, you get hired for a specific job role, which in the private sector is extremely specific. 
and then you try to do someone else's job, that's not going to work out well for you in the private sector, right? You're supposed to do your job because you're a specialist in that area. So those are just a couple of the fun things there, Joe. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things we talk about a lot on the show in your cognitive research is very interesting. Um, and a lot of veterans transitioning out, they do get caught in that trap of, and, and there's good for good reason, but they do get caught in that trap of sizing up their hard skills because HR and companies hire based off of hard skills most of the time. But what always gets missed yeah. and what ultimately always makes veterans such great employees and so successful, maybe after that two year Rocky point is all the soft skills they built up while they were in the military. They packed an incredible amount of living into a short amount of time. And that, that constitutes being on a team, leading teams, building teams, managing teams, basically dealing with people. You deal with a massive amount of human people issues while you're in the military and pretty much no matter what you've done in the military. And when you get in the civilian sector, it's hard to put your finger on how capable you are leading and dealing with people because all they do is look at your hard skills. Well, if you've got an MBA, then you must be great at leading people. No, not really. (laughs) That really has no, there's no connection there whatsoever. Um, but the the guy that was in the military and then gets an MBA, he's got the hard skills, the MBA to back it up. But what really makes him shine are those soft skills, the leadership skills that he developed was in the military. Um, but unfortunately you, you, most companies and you rarely will get a job based off of your soft skills unless you've networked your way into the job by somebody, you know, and if, if somebody, you know, helps you get hired at a place, they're really hiring you because of your soft skills, not your hard skills. You got, you got the connection. He's, this guy's a good guy. This girl's phenomenal. We need her. They're talking about soft skills mostly. So, um, that's one of those things in the transition process that gets left out. Kind of like you hear a lot of guys like, like infantry guys. Well, I was in the infantry. That doesn't really translate to the civilian sector. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it, it always is a police officer or a security job. I'm like, come on, really? Infantry guys are better at dealing with people than anybody. All they've done is deal with people. <laughs> I mean, in extreme, really? in extreme scenarios, those guys have some phenomenal soft skills if they put them to work. Man, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and this is honestly what we're trying to do, Joe, is, you know, if using your example of the infantrymen and their unbelievable ability to lead people, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and what we tell people, and, and particularly people going through our programs right now, um, this, this sounds kind of harsh, but no one cares about your leadership unless you know how to do your job well, your very specific job. Because if you go in and try, again, trying to do somebody else's job or not quite do your job and do leading, um, it's not going to work out well. But if you are able to do the and you know build that hard skill for, that they're looking for, that widget, that mm-hmm. particular uh, thing that goes into their profit loss enterprise – and you're able to lead beyond that, you're going to be promoted very quickly. I mean, I'm, I'm your poster child for that, where I started off at entry level individual contributor. Now I was a managing director within a year. And 
it's not saying I'm great. I'm just saying there were some things that I did that were right that I didn't know at the time. But now that I'm trying to advocate to others, because I really do believe that um, the transitioning military population is the best source of talent. It's just right now, as we're in transition 1.0, it is, it is not transformed and not aligned. And that's why we're there is we want to do that. And then once we can deliver the full weight of that talent to the private sector or to the public sector, everyone's going to win. Um, and, and that's great, right? Because we want to have a very robust all volunteer force that then there's no two year gap. They go right into whatever they're going to do post-military are ready on day one, have a huge impact. And then all those wellness things that I talked about that are the negative, hopefully those just vanish. And then we come off, um, you know, all these different lists that we're on mm-hmm. uh, that are supposed to help us get jobs. We won't need them anymore. I want us off those lists. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Jason, we've probably gone over on our time here. Um, I do want to give you the last word. How can somebody find pre-veteran if they're interested in the transition programs? I appreciate that very much. Um, and, and thanks for taking the time. I know that was a lot of information, but sometimes I get overly excited about our mission. And yeah, we could probably go, have several it. episodes um, on this. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure we do a couple beer follow-up to yeah. one of these days. Um, so they go to preveteran.com. Um, and if you want to learn more about what we do, it's very simple. Just go to the about us page and then do uh, from the pull down, hit news and press. If you want to learn about our philosophies, um, each one of those articles is original content. And then within that is embedded a YouTube video. We got a YouTube um, station as well. Um, beyond that, we're very active on LinkedIn. We do have a company um, uh, page, which is pre-veteran. And then also, um, if you are wanting to take a course right now and ready to get started on that, you can go to our courses part of that and sign up for our employment prep or, uh, employment prep course it's either going to be on a wait list or we'll have, uh, you can, op- it's open for you to sign up right now. And awesome. that's it. Thank you, Joe. You bet. Uh, one last word. Yeah. If you're talking to somebody who's got a transition on the horizon, what kind of advice do you have for them? Um, so, so again, transition 1.0 says get ready. Transition 2.0, which is what we're trying to lead is get ready and here's exactly what the problem is and exactly what you need to do. So if you want specifics, come, come to pre-veteran and I want you to be part of the community so we can start solving all these big problems together. You bet. All right, Jason. Well, thanks for sharing your wealth of information. We'll have to uh, look forward to pre-veteran's future success and definitely have to have you back on the show here. Check in on you. That'd be great. Appreciate it very much, Joe. Thanks to you and all your listeners. You bet. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.